Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, multidimensional healer and empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you to shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow impact-driven visionaries to energize you into living your bold. The only question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Them Bolden. Welcome, Fem Boldeners, to today's episode. I am really so excited to be setting down with my friend Erin. We met, oh goodness, uh, right before COVID hit, right? Because yeah. I think I started at Center for Family Life. I think it was like February 23rd or 26, 2020. Um, And we met very briefly and soon in the summer, even though we all were virtual, we connected on a, on a very special level. And then the rest is history. I got to know you and watch you grow over the last couple of years. So happy to have you here. So happy to hear more about you and more about your, about your growth. Erin, welcome. Thank you for being here. How are you today? Who are you today? Oh my gosh, that's a big question. Who is Erin today? Um, I think the word that just popped up in my head was connected. Mm. Um, and as like you said, we met at Center for Family Life and Recovery, and I was starting my journey as a recovery coach. Um, mm. And that's really where my spiritual journey began, was in my addictions, was in, in the dark spaces. Um and I'll never forget you had said this to me once you're like, I keep getting this, this message that, you know, your soul is lost, but where'd you go? Like, you can't be lost. you know, you're right here. You're not lost. Um, so today I feel connected. Mm. That would be the word. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I love that for you. I always like to highlight the journey of the guests I have on Femboldened because everybody's journey is different and they're nonlinear ups and downs. And, and certainly I think, you know, and I, and I believe we share this belief is that we come into this lifetime with certain lessons, but an umbrella of the big lesson. Yes. And uh, I would love to hear who Aaron was six years ago, 10 years ago, and what brave decisions, what bold decisions led to who you are today and, and this yeah. connectedness that you were able to achieve? Gosh, oh, great questions. I'm just, I'm writing down really quick because these like, go for it. Coming through, I'm like, bold. Yes. Bold yeah. And for, um, for our listeners, Erin's very, she is connected. And she's incredibly connected to spirit as well, more so than she gives herself credit for. Very much so. <laughs> so write yeah. everything that comes through, of course. Erin, <laughs> um, 10 years ago, or even like my earliest memories I have of even in my childhood, I felt like an alien. It's the only way I can describe mm-hmm. it of like, why am I here? I don't belong. I don't fit. Square peg, round hole. 
how, what do I make of this world? <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Um, I was always an old soul, still am an old soul. Like as, you know, kids around me were, were playing with, you know, toys and listening to like, you know, teen bop and all this stuff. I'm listening to like Bach and like music from the sixties and seventies. I have my first memory of my, I call it my gifted weirdness. I think I was like seven or eight. And I, back then it was like the oldie station, 96.1 played Elvis and like, you know, all these old Tammy, why all these old songs. And I was just plastered to Elvis. Like I sat there all day long with my little tape recorder, just waiting to hit record to hear this one song that I didn't even know I was looking for until I heard it. It's like, that's just been how I've kind of like flowed through life, especially in the early years, but God, what a weirdo I was to the outside world. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking it was painful. And I think that's where I really learned. Like when I start to get those like side looks or like, Oh, she doesn't fit in, or I wasn't fitting into the mold of what I was expected to be. Um, Whether that be in my community, whether that was in school, in my own family, Um, I had to learn at a very young age to fit in and belong and to really step away from what really made me happy and who I was in the direction that my soul wanted to go in. Mm -hmm. And I remember even at like 12 and 13, not wanting to be on this world anymore because it hurt so much. Mm -hmm. Like, and I remember thinking to myself, like, well, if I died, I would miss my cat. Like, you know, as as a young person, like, you know, the permanency of death, like really wasn't but God, I was so miserable. Um, so I learned how to, I guess, separate myself, um, play the part, play the role, play the script mm-hmm. and start putting on the masks and, and showing up as whatever, whatever, and whoever I needed to be in whatever moment I was in. Um, and that was the beginning of my addiction because I don't know of anybody who can keep that up for very long without, being severely and really suffering. I was suffering. I was in pain. I was in emotional pain, um, spiritual pain, physical pain, because I, you know, I wasn't happy. Mind, body, soul, we're all connected. Um, so I think that's really where Aaron was 10 years ago. I was, I was in a, a marriage, um, that was extremely abusive emotionally, physically. Um, I'm an only child. So I was expected to, you know, take care of mom and dad's needs who are newly divorced. So I had to make, you know, a decision about showing up for them and their emotions and that, not how I really felt about it. Um, and I was a mom for the first time. Um, I have three amazing children and my boys, my boys, my boys, I have my Joey who's 14. He'll be 15 next month. I don't know when that happened. <laughs> 10 years ago, he was five. Um, you know, I have Demetrio who's 11 um, and my, my youngest Bram who's four. And how do you show up for these little beings when you don't even, when I didn't know how to show up for myself. And I remember just feeling that terror when Joey was born and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I have to take care of this little being. And I don't even know what the F I'm doing. <laughs> I was just like, what do I do with this? And even in that, you know, and those questions and the fear and the overwhelm, you know, I had a hard time connecting emotionally with him. Some call it postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. I had all those feelings. And the 
what stands out to me the most was being criticized, you know, cause I'm not bonding with my baby. Well, I, I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to be nurturing. How do I nurture so- another being when I don't even know how to nurture myself? Um, so that's been like my, my journey back to myself as well as through motherhood. Like I really had to learn how to take care of, of them, which means I had to take care of myself. Um, so yeah, I think 10 years ago, I was just absolutely, um, I don't want to say broken. I used to say I was broken all the time, but I was fragmented. I was off in a lot of different places. Um, I think my addictions began. So I'm, I'm a recovered and I call myself recovered. I'm not recovering. I'm a recovered heroin addict, an opiate addict, um, a substance user. And I hope that I can, in these minutes that we spend together, shine a little bit of awareness or education around addiction. Um, you know, that was kind of what I heard a lot in my own recovery was, was you don't look like a heroin addict. Well, what's a heroin addict like, you know, I think we have this society has this like view of what someone who's suffering and is, and is, I used pain medications. I used medications. I used, um, food. I used other people's opinions. I used anything outside of myself to fill that void, that constant hole that is only meant to be filled by connection, love, support, community. Um, you know, they're quick fixes. But when I had my son, um, I have been suffering from a lot of shoulder problems my whole entire life. And, and the weight of him, he was a big boy, a little nine, nine pound, five ouncer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a little tootie totty and, you know, just having to, to take care of him and stuff, you know, that it was, it was a strain on my body. Um, I was frail, not taking care of myself, not making sure I was getting, you know, nutrition, being a new mom. We gotta, we gotta eat. We gotta sleep too. We got to take care of our bodies. I, I didn't know of that world. It was sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how my addiction began was in the sacrifice. And I was prescribed these medications as a band-aid solution. And I understand why they were prescribed to me. And I hope, um, and we have gotten better about asking questions, asking our doctors questions. Um, you know, what is this for? What is the long-term effect of this? What is this going to do to me in the in the long run? What, what does it look like when when I can don't have to take this anymore? What is dependence versus addiction look like? Um, they're two totally different different things. And how do I know when I'm possibly becoming addicted? Um, those were questions that were discussed. You know, we need to know those things. What does it look like? You can read the pamphlets, but what are the symptoms? Um, I had no idea, no clue. So as I went from dependence on a pain medication for pain, and let me tell you, um, not only I like I was in physical pain, but I was in deep emotional pain as well. So very quickly, you know, when I took the medication for the first time, that ache that I had been describing, that separation, the the having to always wear these masks, the exhaustion. Um, I didn't feel that for the first time. And it was like, oh my God, I can finally, I have relief. Like for what 30 some odd years I've been carrying this weight with me and I don't have to feel this. 
okay, sign me up, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, you know, and that's where my addiction came from. It wasn't because I, I, I was being irresponsible. And I don't think anybody's addiction comes from your, from being irresponsible. Um, yeah. You know, there's the stigma of choice. Yes. I mean, I made a choice. I made a choice to, um, to use them more than I was supposed to. And that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, I won every four to six hours. Okay. I'll take two every four to six hours. I'm in a lot of pain today, you know, and, and it, it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and within gosh, I think two or three years, you know, I was, I was heavily addicted, meaning, you know, I was ripping through my prescription within I'm going to say four or five days, like, you know, a month prescription of four or five days. It was intense. I was throwing up um, because all the, you know, it's mixed with Tylenol. It's not just, you know, it's got all these other fillers and stuff in it. So, you know, I, my stomach is now like my body's like, uh, no, we don't want to do this anymore. Um, you know, but my, my reward system's hijacked. If anybody knows anything about the science or if you don't, there's, there's a science behind substance use, you know, so our reward system becomes, becomes, you know, dysregulated. And now, you know, I used to need, I used to need food and water and air to to breathe and live. And now I need this. So it's like my priorities completely shifted, obviously. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's where my journey began. <laughs> kind of rambling off here for a while. No, this is perfect. I think you have such a way of recalling with such a level of awareness that I think those who are finding themselves in a similar situation, regardless of the substance, I mean, we've had this discussion before. It doesn't have to be a prescription substance. It doesn't have to be an illicit drug. It could be, like you said, food. I mean, how often, even in movies, they show you, you have a bad day, binge on Briars. Yeah, absolutely. Reach for the potato chips. And that's something, you know, certainly I was taught is reward Mm -hmm. your, my, I watch it when my parents come here, they're like, whenever we get together, that's something to celebrate. So we all eat horribly. And, and, you know, that's, that's just what I was taught. Um, But even shopping, Mm -hmm. right. is an addictive quality workaholics. Yes. But those, those people are praised in society. And I'd love to touch on that at some point, the stigma behind certain, addictions versus the celebration of others that has just warped our society. Um, but yeah, I think the way you have shared your, your story already is, is going to be one that though so many others are going to resonate with and, and find similarity. I find it interesting. And I don't know if this has ever, um, come into your awareness that you had shoulder issues even earlier on from carrying so many burdens Mm-hmm. throughout your childhood. Yeah. And, you know, and then again, as you were saying, you, you didn't know how to nurture yourself. So how, how am I going to nurture? And, and, you know, I've had to nurture my parents. I've had to nurture everybody else, but now, now it's important because this is my legacy. Um, so I'd find it interesting that it was shoulder pain that brought you to your addiction, but it was, I don't know. I, I find it, I just carrying find it interesting, like carrying all of that the and it broke, yeah. right. It just broke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was literally the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it was. It yeah. absolutely was. It, it is. It was carrying, carrying the weight, the emotional weight, the physical weight, the, the financial weight. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
My goodness. So I, I, before I forget, I'd love to ask you because now you're doing, and we'll, we'll, can, I'll ask you more about your story later, but before mm-hmm. I forget, I, I, as you're doing education in, in regards to recovery, and we've even talked about that too, there's such a stigma in that word recovery. Yes. And I think when, when we were together, we decided to call it healing. healing. I mean, yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of recovery, yes. because there, there mm-hmm. seems to be, um, like you're, you're bad if you're in recovery, right? There's this connotation that I'm a bad person because I'm in quote unquote recovery. Whereas your recovery is stigmatized. Whereas my recovery from my anxiety isn't stigmatized or not to the same extent, right? We're all healing. Absolutely. Um, but I would love to know, you had mentioned dependence versus addiction. Oh yeah. And how to know when you're addicted. This is so interesting to me because I don't know these things and I think it would be mm-hmm. super useful for our listeners to sure. hear about it. Would you Absolutely. mind sharing more of your, your wisdom in regards Absolutely. to those questions? Absolutely. I would love to. <laughs> um, I always, I would joke around after, after I have some uh, sober time under my belt um, and I, I would joke around and say, you know, addiction is the only disease in the DSM-5 that, you know, you're not going to get a casserole brought to your door, <laughs> like yeah. you know, diabetes, cancer, all these other, all these other ailments, you know, you say, oh gosh, you know, I've been to the doctor. I was diagnosed with this, you know, and you're in, you know, people come in hordes, you know, to help and support. And this is the only one that I know of the mental health and, and the substance use where it's like, well, you did this to yourself, you know, so you don't deserve any type of help, nurture, care. I mean, that, that's the stigma of it is that choice, right? Yes. I made a choice. I made a choice to, to take more than I was prescribed. I made a choice not to seek help when internally, when my, my little internal dial was going, this isn't okay. You know, this isn't okay. I chose not to, I chose to, to self-medicate, to ease pain. Like I said, emotional pain. Um, and I didn't fully under understand that. So dependence versus addiction. Um, dependence is when our body is, is dependent on something to be well. So, um, you know, taking a high, taking any type of opiate, uh, um, a synthetic opiate, your, your body will, will become dependent and, and need that in order to keep functioning in balance as it was. Um, so if you were to stop that medication immediately, same thing as an antidepressant, SSRIs, certain medications, you know, your body is, your brain has become used to having these chemicals and you're and it's always trying to be in a state of balance. So if you take this, this thing away immediately, just at a sudden notice, you're going to experience physical symptoms. So, you know, sweating, uh, possibly shivering and shaking, uh, sore legs, um, you know, I would get sore, you know, pains in my back, your body's going to, is going to respond now that does not mean you have an addiction. That means you are just physically dependent and you need to talk to your doctor about coming up with a, you know, a titration of coming down, you know, a little at a time so that, you know, you're not in shock and being really uncomfortable and, and suffering really. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say that I am on medicated assisted therapy. So MATs, mm-hmm. um, I've been on an MAT for four and a half years and save my life. If I were to just stop that medication today, I would be in withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, my body's physically dependent on it, but the biggest difference is I don't 
behave in the way that I did on, on MAT as I did when I was in my diction. So that's the difference is there is a behavior component. It's an obsession and a compulsion to use the substance, despite the negative consequences in my life that are showing up. And these negative consequences can be legally, they can be within your family. Um, they can be, you know, within your work, you know, your ab ability to uh, function in society, um, you know, show up in your life as a thriving individual. Um, that's really the marker, you know, of addiction. So let me put that in layman's terms. I was willing to do whatever I need to do to, to get my next, my next pill. Like I will, uh, steal from someone I'll steal from myself. I behave a good game. Um, I will not go to my son's baseball game. I won't participate in, you know, any type of spiritual community. I, that is my number one that takes total precedence. Um, a lot of, you know, legal troubles that that's how I got into recovery is I actually was arrested for a possession, a minor possession charge. But that's what happens. You put yourself in risky situations. Um, you know, again, that the frontal lobe, so the part of your brain that makes decisions, consequences, it's it's dysregulated. You know, it's hijacked. Choices and and cr critical thinking, logical thinking. No, that doesn't. It, it's that's how it changes the brain. I could no longer think about, you know, the, the ramifications of my choices and how this is going to affect my children, you know, 10 years from now. No, I just need to know that I can't feel this way anymore. I'm crawling out of my skin. I'm throwing up, you know, it's coming out both ends. Um, I'm crawling out of my skin, the anxiety, the mental, you know, no, it's, I'm dying. My body's telling me I'm dying and I need this thing in order to, to feel better. So consequences, consequences, I, you know, it's not happening. <laughs> So I think that's the biggest, you know, difference between dependence versus addiction. Um, physically dependent addiction is your the whole entire world is dependent on it to keep going. Mm -hmm. That's that was such a very clear distinction. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing your experience with those two mm -hmm. definitions as well. At what point did you realize that it became an addiction? To be very, uh, you know, honest, I knew very early on that what I was doing wasn't okay. You know, like I'm not following doctor's orders. Um, I'm starting to lie. I'm starting to manipulate most of all myself first, because I have to believe my own lies in order to keep this going. And denial runs deep, you know, the excuses and little fibbies and the tattletales that we can tell in our, I could tell on myself in my, in my use is incredible. And I go back and think of it now, you know, and I have to, I have to, to accept her, you know, she was hurting. Um, and I, I love her just the same, but boy, I could really, I could twist and turn, um, my own actions to fit when I needed it to. So to be, I would say probably in the first couple months when I, became wonder. I, I would call my like super mom. Like I could now get all the laundry done. I could go to work a shift, you know, 10 hour shift. I was, um, I was a senior office specialist staff at an MRI facility. So, you know, long hours billing, all that good stuff. Um, I could work, I could come home, I could cook dinner. I mean, I could just, I was an energizer bunny. I could keep going and I could take all of the insults and slurs and, 
the backhands, I could take it all with a, I call it my joker with a smile on my face. I didn't, I didn't give a, to be honest. And that's what I loved about it is that I could just, so I think at that moment when I was like, I can't wake up without this thing it is when I realized I, I, I have a problem and I don't know what to do about it. Um, and I don't know if I want to do anything about it right now. Mm, mm. I just got chills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we hear it all the time. You have to quote unquote hit rock bottom, which I don't believe all the time. I don't think that's the case for everybody. Um, was that something that you experienced? And- I multiple. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been just one. You know what I mean? Mm. What was the second part of the question? Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I was going to say, like, what what was, I mean, what was the final straw? What was the, the, the thing that made you wake the hell up? Oh, gosh. You know, there were so many of those moments along the way. I, I, you know, I remember starting to miss feeling. I guess is the way to say it. Like I felt so horrible for so long that I was like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. But then it gets to a point where you're like, I'm completely numb. And I don't, you know, I don't even feel the good stuff anymore. Like, you know, I would watch my kids on Christmas or some, or like just in every day. And like, they want me to share joy with them. And I'm just like, I can't, <laughs> I'm, I have nothing. I'm like flatlined. Um, so those were like the little, you know, the little, I don't want you call them like, nudges from spirit, like, you know, okay, <laughs> this has gone long enough now, you know, this is, this is put in your life to wake you up. Are you ready? <laughs> um, and I wasn't, and there was many times where my knees hit that floor and I begged God and I didn't even believe in God or any type of any creed. I had no spirituality at that point, but I was like, listen, if you're, re- if this is real, if there's any type of, um, legitimacy to any of, of this, um, please answer these three questions, you know, and the three questions were, am I good enough? Will I be okay? Am I lovable? Um, and literally it was a few days later, I was walking my dog. I went to Santa, my neighbor's port. She's like, come on over. She's like, I had, you know, I, I see you all the time and blah, 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 but I want to say hi. And it was a totally random moment. And I sat down and all of a sudden this gentleman that she knew, I had no idea who he was came driving up and he, he kept staring at me and I'm like, what is this? Okay. <laughs> What's going on? Why are you looking at me so hard? And, uh, he's like, I, I, I have a message for you. And it was my first experience with a medium or any type of anybody who got received messages from the other side. And he's, like, I have a message for you. He goes, I, I, is it okay if I hold your hand? And I said, I guess. And he answered those three questions. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't know if you've ever shared that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like my first, like, oh my God. And that's how I like, I went church crazy for about a few months there. That's where my church trauma comes in because I was like, holy shit, God is real. Oh my God. And now I have to become Catholic. Because <laughs> that's what you do. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> she was- so, uh, I didn't have my first communion. You know, this is, all, I, I went to Get a lot of catching up to do. I did. I come on, we got to do this. So I tried to convert myself to Catholicism and I went to a certain church. I'm not going to mention any names. Um, and that was the first time that I, you know, I, I was assaulted by a priest there. And I, so I had, I had 
was going to put the pills down. And I did, I did. I put the pills. I actually kind of weaned myself off my own way. I, you know, wasn't, I did some things I didn't want to do, which was off the street, getting things that would make me feel better, like Suboxone off the street. Um, but I did it. And then I was on my way to wholeness. I want to say connectedness. I just, I thought I had the answer, right? Again, another thing outside of myself, I still wasn't looking in here. And, um, looking back, there was a lot of moments where I was like, Ooh, I don't, is that really spiritual? I don't know if I agree with that. Or that wasn't very nice. It was just so many little breadcrumbs that it was like, this is not the place for you. This is not in alignment with where you're supposed to be practicing your spirituality or learning or even learning about it. Um, and I chose to ignore them and was assaulted, uh, by a, a priest there that, um, I had really, really tr- trusted that, um, and it broke me, it broke my heart. And after that, I was like, I had the efforts. I was like, screw this. If this is what spirituality is, I don't want it. I don't want nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably went on a good binge for like three months. Um, and let me say this. I don't know any person in recovery who woke up one day and was like, geez, I'm going to try heroin today. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm going to go do, you know, it's a progression. Like I like to tell people, especially family members or, or someone who doesn't know much about it and, and is struggling with loving someone or, or connecting with someone it's affecting their life in some way. It's, it's like in stages, you get just like cancer, you get stage one, stage two, stage three, mm-hmm. stage four. In my advanced state of disease, which is my stage four of addiction, yes, I I did heroin because I was so far removed and so caught up in the lifestyle and the the, the pills weren't working anymore. Like I had tolerance, you know, if anybody was thinking about tolerance, like I, I was there, I could no longer feel good. I could no longer feel bad. I was just numb. Um and I was sick. Like I can't even describe it. It was just like my body and my mind. And I was just ill and an opportunity came along and someone said, Hey, do you want to try this? And I said, yeah, you know, nothing's off limits at that stage of this disease, you know? So I just kind of wanted to say that, that like, you know, you see it on the TV and stuff. I don't know anybody who's just like, ah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, okay. So trust is broken in spirituality and, and you, you oh, progress even yeah. further. Yes. Even for, yeah. so yeah. So like I got better or I thought I was going to get better. Um, I wanted to get the will was there and then another trauma happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically at the core of my addictions, it's a coping mechanism. It was, it was a quick fix coping mechanism. I didn't know. I didn't have tools. I didn't have skills. I wasn't taught how to manage my emotions. I didn't even, I wasn't taught even what my, I didn't even know what they looked like for me because I was busy taking care of everybody else. Right. That these things were not, they were not blessed to me. They weren't taught to me. I didn't know that I should be going out looking for them either. Um, you know, my world was very, very, very small. And I think that's what unhealed trauma does is it keeps you kind of prisoner and repeating the same pattern and cycle over and over and over again until you learn not to. And sometimes people, we, we go to our deathbed, never knowing anything different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, it was, it was the, the, the trauma in the church. Um, that's when I picked up heroin really, it, it was my full-time job. Um, it was my everything. It was my lover. It was my best friend. It was my parent. Um, and then I got into a little bit of minor trouble and I decided to take drug court and I had a county drug court. Um, I had no intention of getting sober. I took it to not to go to jail and not, you know, serve any time or repercussions. Um, so I can tell you that I had a really hard time the first month. Um, but then when I was able to get some distance, you know, they actually, I went to Schenectady for treatment, um, was the first time I got a taste of freedom of just, wow, there is something beyond this. I had incredible support systems there. I had beautiful friendships that I made. I learned that people in authoritative positions were not all cruel and out to hurt people. So I had great counselors. Mm. Um, Oh my gosh. That's so important. So important. Holy moly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I feel like, and we've, we've, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I feel like we've talked about this multiple times before that the structure of, uh, the recovery process, again, it keeps making you feel like the bad person and, and there's a distrust in authority and distrust in yourself. And those three questions that you wanted answered, they remind remind me again, it was, am I enough? Yes. What was the second? am, Am I okay? Am I lovable? Um, yeah. And am I enough? Are those answered in the traditional 12 step? Um, I think you can answer them your own way. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was just curious, mm-hmm. I, but, but even still, yeah. I feel, you know, I've, I've been to, um, meetings in regards yeah. to, you know, creating a new recovery center and things like that. And I was incredibly upset as far as yeah. those who were in charge of, of bringing this to life and how they felt they knew better than those they were serving. Absolutely. And that, that, that made me sick to my stomach and I can only, and that was, that was, that wasn't, it. that was just a 60 minute zoom call. Yeah. So I I can't imagine, I just want to reiterate how important it is to have had that experience of authority, quote unquote, authority figures right? Mm -hmm. who aren't assholes. Yeah. Who don't think that they know better. Yeah. Who are really at your level mm-hmm. or see you as human. Absolutely. Having a similar experience as the woman who just spent $200 at Yankee Candle. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what it is? It's because we were, like I said, you know, we're, we're, we're breaking the law. We're, you know, I was breaking the law. I wasn't taking care of my kids anymore. I was, I was, not contributing and working and paying my taxes, you know, we're, it's a burden. So, yeah. well, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's funny as you're saying this, I'm kind of getting, getting like an, an intuitive hit here. It's not unlike the lepers, right. Mm-hmm. And Jesus's time, everybody. And it's not so much. Yeah. There it's, sti- I think it's stigmatized because people fear it. Yes. So yeah. we might as well just make you outcast. So you stay far away. Mm-hmm. And, and it's more of, um, um, I'm not like you. Yes. That would never happen to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Sort of thing. So because of that fear. And yeah. I think that's, that could be where the stigma comes from. I don't know for sure, but that seems Absolutely. right to me. Right. It's, it's the fear that, that creates the stigma. Nobody's afraid of being honored at work for working 80 hours a week and only getting paid for 40. It's productive. It's productive. It's High five. Way to go. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're sacrificing, you're producing, mm-hmm. um, you're following orders, you're behaving, you're above behaving. Uh, behaving. Yes, you're behaving. Ooh, that's a good yeah. word. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that uh, I never resonated with. And, and to this day, I don't even like to say, you know, hi, my name is Aaron and I, and I'm in, re- mm-hmm. I'm an addict or I'm a recovering. Oh, addict. yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, hi, my name is Aaron. And I really had to fight that. Like, I am not my addiction. I am Aaron, you know, and I yeah. hate when we have to be like, no, I, ha- I had an addiction. I mm-hmm. had unhealed traumas, many of them. I had codependency issues that I was working through. I had generations of familial trauma that I was sorting through. I'm still sorting through to this day. I had to learn. I didn't know how to say yes to the things I wanted to say yes to and say no to the things I wanted to say no to because Mm -hmm. I had to be the good girl all the time. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. Nobody, that's something taught, you know, like um, my son you know, for Mother's Day, they write down, you know, what, what it is about mom, what what they love about you and what, you know, what you've taught them. And it says, mom, you taught me um, how to stand up for myself, how to be tough and that it's okay to not be okay. Like when I read that, I was like, oh my Lord, thank goodness I'm doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to not be okay. I didn't know that. So I had to, I had to be okay at all costs, or at least pretend to be. Um, until I couldn't anymore. That's really what my addiction was, but I'm not my addiction. Nobody's their mental mm-hmm. health. Nobody's their diagnosis. We don't walk around with like the letter A's on our shirts anymore. Right. So yeah. why do I have to throw this on myself every time right. I walk in for help? Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I haven't been to any, any meetings, but do you just say, and I'm an addict or do you, is there like, I'm an addict, I'm addicted to this, this substance. Is that, or is it simply, do they put make it it's everywhere it's like kind of like anywhere you know <laughs> when you do a check-in if you're in for going for your groups or anything it's kind of one of those dated things that we're changing thank okay you. okay good um the the powers that be have recognized that you know abstinence is not for everybody mm-hmm. um harm reduction works Mm-hmm. Uh, stabilization works. Um, there are other ways of treatment, you know, pu- punishing doesn't get you, you can't shame addiction out of somebody. Trust me. No. We know where I'm, I, I knew I was a monster. You didn't have to tell me like I knew the way I was behaving was atrocious. Um, there's nothing that you could say to me that I don't say to myself. <laughs> like I am my own worst critic. I can mm-hmm. beat myself up a hell of a lot more than anybody else can. So, mm-hmm. you know, and just having that mirrored back to you is, is all that reaffirming, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Boundaries. Absolutely. Anybody who is struggling with another, with a loved one um, and, and with substance use boundary up boundaries are because you can still love, love the person, but keep yourself safe, you know, and keep, keep the whole, keep them safe as well, because there is that term that you can love someone to death. Mm, mm. Mm, so important. I think we see that a lot. Yeah. Right. For fear of losing them entirely, mm-hmm. but really it exacerbates. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do we become resilient if we don't practice it, you know, mm, it's huge. Mm-hmm. huge. So you're, you had this wonderful experience in Schenectady. It's in Schenectady, but guess what? It's wow. not where my life was. <laughs> 
So as I had this great, it was like vacation, right? I had this great four or five months. Um, but all everything that I created was there. And then I had to come back here. Well, and is, and I don't mean to inter- interrupt you again, but isn't that like a lot of the rehab centers go to Florida and experience, you know, here's all spend all this money, but then go home mm-hmm. and, and go back to your real life. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And then they have this idea that you have to do it without making any mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be abstinent or you have to, you know, you can't relapse. Don't you dare do that. You know, and, and, and I've, I have relapsed. I've had three very strong recurrences. Um, and it wasn't always with substance use. It was like codependency, you know, like that, I call that when I, when my PTSD starts running my life, I call that a recurrence because something is out of control, right? Like mm-hmm. all these things work together for me, my, my internal traumas, um, the substance use itself to medicate it, the mental health, like, you know, if any one of them is out of alignment, then I'm in, I'm in, I'm relapsed, like my wow. disease is coming back up. So I have to identify like when I know things are real, going off the rails a little bit, mm, that's amazing. but I didn't know that yet. That's what my, re- that's what my relapse has taught me. Right. Was like, okay, that didn't go as planned. <laughs> prepared for that. So how do I do that next time when this comes up? Because I think that was the hardest lesson or the hardest pill to swallow. No pun intended. Um, when I got into, re- when I started healing was, was that life, life was still going to life, whether I was sober or not, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't holding it. No, I didn't get any free passes. Cause now I was suddenly doing, you know, the work necessary for me and my family to grow and, and, and thrive. Mm-mm. So my, my first big relapse was, um, I had my last son with my still partner today. Um, and I had him and didn't plan. I had a C-section. So no one, we didn't talk about pain medication. We didn't talk about a plan for not being on pain medication after a C-section. Um, I was not an MATs yet. And that's the Suboxone, the Medicaid assistant treatment. So yeah, it is. It's like, um, I had the pain medication afterwards and it, I, Oh gosh, it it was like the allergy they talk about in that situation. And that particular situation, um, I wasn't sober long enough yet. I didn't have enough of, I didn't have enough things, I guess, practiced is the word is I would say it or healed or, it just wasn't my, it wasn't my time to be on that medication yet. Um, and I was, and I had like the, what do you call it? The postpartum depression, anxiety, and all that was brewing. And within two months I was back using again. Mm -hmm. So that was my first big relapse, but this time it only lasted three months. And I ended up calling the authorities on myself. I lost my son. I had to give him up. Oh, I still remember to this day and he keeps me sober. I had to give him over to somebody, a stranger, you know, I had to, I, and it was the best gift anybody could ever given me was the responsibility of my actions. And I had to pack up his stuff, his car seat, his nighties, his bottles, his formula. I know I'm like, and I had to give him to somebody because I, I couldn't take, I technically I couldn't take care of him in the eyes of the law. I neglected him by getting high and not having anybody else around. Um, and that's okay because it, it was in that experience that I learned how to fight fight for my life 
because I was not going to lose my children. I just wasn't, was not, was, was, it wasn't going to happen. So thankfully family court worked for me. Thankfully CPS worked for me. Thankfully I was able to finally put this, this thing down, this beast down, um, and trust and surrender that I was going to be okay. I spent a week in jail um, because I was on dry. If anybody knows about treatment courts, you, you get um, sanctions if, if you do certain things, right. So you get like, it's like punishment, rightly so. So what I, when I called the, the authorities on myself, I called the police on myself there, you know, the officer, I still remember him. He was so kind. He's like, there's nobody else here with you. And I said, no, there's nobody else here with me because if there was somebody else there with me, I wouldn't be going, I, I was going to be going to jail. You know, he's like, I'm going to have to charge you. And I'm like, I know, like I into, I was out of my mind, but I knew I'm like, this has to happen or I'm going to die. Like something bad is going to happen to me. Um, and I, and I sat in that jail cell for a week, not knowing what direction my life was going to be in. Um, I didn't know if I was going to have to serve my full sentence, which was only six months, but still six months, you know, I, I didn't know how long I was going to be in the state. And when you have that lack of control or that lack of like, this is it. Like I had two choices and I remember saying to myself, Aaron, either you're going to walk out of the cell and you're going to walk out of your, your family's life. And you're going to, you're going to walk away from your kids and you're just going to disappear. You're going to go and do whatever you're going to do. And you're going to leave them to heal. And you're not going to keep doing this to them. And wherever you end up, you end up. Or you're going to trust that you have the answers and that, that there is that God that you once believed in and that you're going to, you're going to be okay, but you got to do the work. Like I wasn't doing the work, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was, that was that, that moment I was like, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the work. And as I sit in my house that I just bought yes. <laughs> four years later, I got my, I, my whole family back and then some, and I did the work and spirit has supported me every step of the way. Wow. Oh my goodness. And the listeners can't see me right now, but I, I went through tears and it was heartbreak. <sighs> Heart, I, I remember he, I had him, he was three months old and he was bouncing on my knee and I'm looking at the judge and, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving my rights away right now. And he's looking at me and he's like, mom, like what's mm. happening. And I had to go to jail after that. They were going to take me to jail right after that. And I had to sit with that image. Like, I didn't know where he was going. I didn't know what hands he was going to be going in. You know, I had to trust that he was going to be, that he was going to be okay. Until I could get, until I was going to be his mom again. But I was like, this is, this is wild. Like I, mm -mm. so that's, that's the moment. My fiber, I have an urge and I'm like, F it done. Life is too hard. I can't do this anymore. I think of him and I'm like, oh, never mind. <laughs> we'll get through it. We'll just buckle up, shortcake. Mm. Mm. Oh goodness! Yeah, I needed like a breather. <laughs> it's one of my my biggest fears is is not so much um, not being with Ezzy, right? It's his him having the perspective that I've left him. Yes. Mm-hmm. that's my biggest fear mm-hmm. as a mother. So I, I cannot imagine the strength that that took. And you know, I, ugh. 
it was because like I had, like, again, I had a choice. I could have ran. I mean, there's, and that's what life, that's what I've, that's what I've learned. That's like the biggest lesson I've learned is life and what it looks like and how it feels comes down to choice. And I'm not talking about the big choices, like, you know, I call the police on my It's the little ones, the teeny tiny little ones that we make without even putting any thought into it. Like the, the little unconscious decisions that eventually like add up. And then you're like, whoa, I'm like, whoa, what, how did I get here? Well, <laughs> let's back this up a little bit. You know, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Those Tension. moments of, of unconsciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could have just, you know, took off of them. I don't know. I, there could have been a lot of different ways that could have went, but I was like, this is, I'm going to, this is the day I start doing what other people say is, is, I don't know how to even describe it, but following the pit in my stomach, when someone tells me to do something, mm. you know, discernment, I guess is, is, yeah, yeah. is right. That was my first lesson with discernment is which, you know, what really feels right mm. without the chatter of the mind, which way are you going to go? Wow. The hard mm. stuff. So hard. I can't, I can't even imagine. I, I've, I, if I haven't shared this with you before, I'm going to share it with you now. And if I have, then I'll share it again and again. You are my example of what it is to be a mother, Aww. a wonderful, a conscious mother. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, what, what would Aaron do? I mean, even when I started potty training, as he last week and I told yeah. you were one of the first people I told him like, well, body training. I hope I'm doing it right. You know, sort of thing. You're not, Aaron would know. Aaron You're would not going to do it right. <laughs> They're not even doing it right. You know, and I think that's a beautiful, do you just said, uh, I hope I'm doing it right. I think, especially as moms, how many times a day do we say that? Yeah. We're always doing it oh. right. And when it's wrong. Every second, mm-hmm. every second. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's constant. Oh yeah. my goodness. So Aaron, I'd love to celebrate you. What is, what was the date your first? Yeah. What was the date of your sobriety? 111, 2018, as I consider my, my real date, that was the day mm-hmm. I called, I called, I called for help on mm-hmm. myself and I, and I took it. So that's what I consider my, my day of redemption and surrender and a rebirth. You got to burn. I had to burn that whole life down to the ground and rebuild back up into what I wanted it to be. And the burn don't look pretty. It don't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't look pretty. It's messy. Um, it's painful. It's like birth. It's, it's birth. It's labor, you know? And listen, what my question I ask myself is how far you will, how far do you want to go with this than anything? You know, how, how much energy effort do you want to put into this? Um, whatever it is that I'm trying to create. And I used to, and this was up until I'm going to say a good six months ago, this is a very new awareness for me. I was very um, focused on producing or what was, what was the end result going to look like? You know, how much can I, again, the society tells us we got to be churning things out. We have to be, you know, good little girls and, and do the work, do the work, do the work. What am I working for? And I finally realized is that my role was not to be, um, I don't have a master's degree. It was not to be some, some big wig or whatever, or to have all these like accolades and, and things. 
I'm here to raise human beings mm-hmm. and just be present for people and, and to help them through their own grief and sorrows and be an example or just hold someone's hand and be like, listen, you got this. You can do this. Um, it's, it's humility, humble humility, mm-hmm. but I'm here to raise those boys into men. Mm-hmm. Conscious Hopefully, men. Yes. Conscious men who have emotion to cry. My son had his first, oh, man, listen to me, his first day, he's got his first girlfriend. <laughs> and he's like, mom, he's like, I treated her like a princess. He's like, she got slushies. I held the door open for her. He's like, she got to pick the seat, whatever she wanted. It was hers. And he goes, and I told her how pretty she looked too. You know, it's just, <sighs> you know, it's this, those things are important and, you know, and it's okay to not be okay. You are doing a damn good job at all. Thank you. Thank you. You are amazing. We wear many hats as women. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't look good in a lot of them. (laughs) Never look good in hats. (laughs) Don't look good in hats either. Oh gosh. What is, what is your words of wisdom for those who are finding themselves in any any similar situation in any of your journey, it, it, what would, what words would you have bestowed on yourself and that were so important at any point in that, that journey of yours? This is temporary. <gasps> this oh is my forever. gosh. It's temporary. Um, it may not feel like this will ever, whatever you're going through is going to end, but it will. Mm. Nothing is permanent. I mean, every day we're getting a little bit older, you know, nothing is permanent. This will change. This will shift. Um, trust that you have the ability that you have the inner resources that you are not bad. Um, and that you are not, I don't want to say, I guess, trash it, but you're not something to throw away. You're not garbage, you know, pick yourself up there's, there's resources. There's find, find a recovery advocate, look up in your community. If you need something there, it's there. You just got to look. And if you don't know how to look for it, find, just ask, keep asking for help because someone will, will, will hear you. You know, even if you have to hear a thousand no's, the yes will come, you know, don't give up on yourself. I think that's the biggest. And if you fall down and you got bruised knees, it's okay. Pick yourself back up brush the, brush the, you know, the, the blood off your shoes, whatever, just brush yourself off, grab the bandaid, put the, put it on your boo-boo, give it a little kiss and keep it in you. And you're going to be okay. It's, it's life is a hot mess. (laughs) I think that took me a long time to learn that. I was like, it wasn't something that I was doing wrong. I thought my life was like, all these things were happening because I was being bad. Like I wasn't perform- I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. No, no matter what I do, life is going to life. Grief is going to grief. Suffering is going to suffer. It's just what happens. And there's, guess what? There's a lesson in there somewhere. There is a lesson in it. You can look for it. Mm-hmm. Speaking Earth, to you. Earth is hard. Mm-hmm. Earth is hard. Oh my goodness. Those mm-hmm. are perfect words. This is temporary. And I think that could be applied to any situation. Anything. I used to tell that to, you know, it's so funny. I think that was a message for me. And, um, I used to tell my patients that when I gave them a new diagnosis, yeah, this is temporary. It doesn't have to be forever. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. I'll, and I'm, I'm going to hold your hand every step of the way if you want me to, but you yeah. got to do the work too. Yeah. 
got to do the work. Like the, the, so true. The universe will meet you exactly where you're willing to go. Mm-hmm. And after that, if you're not willing, it's just, okay. And, and, you know, I'm not going to get mad. Okay. Because we're going to go in a different direction, you know, and cry, like mm-hmm. cry. I, I don't think I've cried ever. Like the way I cry now, like shake it off, shake it off, mm-hmm. cry it out, scream it out. If you have to. Um, temper tantrum crap out of something. yeah exactly have the biggest temper Threw tantrum my clothes yeah <laughs> I heard this uh video the other day I was like oh my gosh it was like when your inner child has been healed your inner get ready for your inner teenager she's coming yes and I'm like oh <laughs> okay <laughs> I think she's here <laughs> oh that's great I love that oh mm-hmm. my too funny oh Erin yeah. this is um my favorite fucking episode I've had Yay. <laughs> I am so honored to be alongside all the beautiful women that I would listen to on this show. I was so ecstatic. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like this was like my, I made it moment. I was like, hell yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and, you know, I'm hearing as cry upstairs and I'm like, this is important. Mm-hmm. This needs to be like, it just needs to be out in the open. The story is more than just Aaron's story. It's yeah. thousands of millions mm-hmm. of stories. And, and it, it is so important. And I cannot thank you enough for, for being, showing this level of vulnerability, for sharing your story, for sharing you and, and really for being here on earth, for choosing on the, in those moments where you didn't want to be for choosing to continue to be here because you're, you're here for this reason. People need to know that, like, you can come back from anything, anything. Yes. You know, and yes. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay if you mess up. It's okay. It's, mm. it's, we don't hear that enough. We don't have to be perfect. You don't. You boring. absolutely don't. It's mm. Yeah, it absolutely is boring. It is. Where can people find you mm. if they want to be all up in your business and just be in your energy? Yes. Um, when we were just having this conversation before we started and I'm actually, um, an addictions counseling student right now. So, um, I'm really, really, really passionate just about being next to people who are in need. Um, so that's my journey right now, but I'm on Instagram. If anybody wants to catch me on Instagram, send me a message. I am, I'm in this state of, rest where I've been resting and getting my kind of like my health back in order. Mm-hmm. I had some stomach stuff going on. And I've been thinking about a grief doula. Like I know something next Ooh, is coming. I just yes. don't know what it is yet. Um, but I'm pretty much open to whatever it's going to be. I, I love speaking to individuals in the masses and just mm-hmm. challenging the darkness because guess what? Light always wins, but you need the dark in order to really appreciate the light. So mm-hmm. It's more just integration. How do I integrate, you know, my addiction into, into who I was? She was hurting so much. And that was just an outward expression of pain, you know, and, and that's all our addictions are. It's, it's a really shitty coping mechanism <laughs> and it's a way to, to ease and fill a void, to fill a need. We all have needs and it's, it's addiction is just another way to get a need met. It's all mm-hmm. it is. It gets out of control. Uh, Aaron, I cannot thank you enough. I I'm, I'm speechless and 
uh, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for you, grateful for meeting you and, and grateful that we were able to capture this. Okay. Awesome. All right, Dolly. Thank you. 